welcome to season three of Gill Athletics Connection Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited you hit the play button today. If you like what you hear, check out our library of hundreds of past guests that is sure to give you value. For everyone else, we're so happy you've come back. Quick favor, if you haven't already, consider taking a minute to rate and review the podcast. This simple act helps amplify these amazing stories, and we just love to hear your feedback. Heck, we may even read it out loud in a future episode. Okay, that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get to it. See what today's guest has in store for us. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I am so humbled to be your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. And today, well, we're going to have a little fun today. I'm super excited. Help me welcome the head coach of the University of St. Francis in beautiful Fort Wayne, Indiana. Help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Mr. Kyle Allison. Kyle, how are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you, Mike? You know, as we kind of talked about, when you do the pre-interview, you get to hear all the things again, Kyle. Uh, You know, I, and I've said this before, I mean, I get to interview coaches around the country. So whenever anybody asks me how am I doing, I I say awesome. I mean, because I am, I am doing amazing. I'm just exploring coaches uh, in their lives, watching a little bit of world champs and seeing coaches, uh, you know, perform unbelievably with their athletes. It's, it's really quite amazing. Are, Are you watching any of the world champs? Yeah, I, I I stayed up probably later than I needed to last night uh, watching the men's shot put. Um, you know, whenever you have an opportunity to watch one of the best in the world, and then probably the second best in the world with Joe Kovacs um, and, and Ryan Krauser to, to compete against each other. Um, it, it was a lot of fun to watch them compete and, and see Ryan kind of pull it off in his second to last throw was, was a lot of fun to watch. You pronounced his name a lot better than I could. Tell me the name of the guy that got third. Josh, right? <laughs> Josh Awatunde. Where, where did he go to school? I know the other He guy. went to South Carolina. Ah, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, he went to South that's Carolina. Right. So he's, he's still a younger guy, but yeah, yeah I mean, th- throws and professional throws kind of my, kind of my world. Absolutely. Um, so I, I try to pay attention to it the best I can. I saw, you know, obviously Krauser and Kovacs get all the news and the media, and, and they deserve it because, like I said, number one and two, number two, I mean, they're amazing. Uh, love them. Love their coaches. Uh, Josh, I saw a post this morning. So we're, we're actually recording on, uh, what is today's date? July 18th. You're listening 18th. to this on uh, in August, probably. Um, so this is, there's no spoilers, right? You've, you've already seen all the yeah. results here. Uh, but Josh, I guess his throw was number 18 ever. Okay. And, and I couldn't imagine because you know, here's a guy who doesn't have a lot of name recogniz- recognition, yeah. right? Uh, I was again, Krauser and Kovacs gets all that, but I was like, man, I, I literally, as I was, we were waiting to get to get online today, I was like, you know, the number 18 throw ever, and I'm like, wow, like what I wonder what that feels like. I also wondered that about Ryan Krauser, the number one throw ever, but like the number 18 guy so far, and like you said, he's young, so he. He may go number one one day, right? I mean, it's you build and build and build. But I just wonder, like, I wonder if there's ever, like, did he sit back and think, man, Shopit's been going on for a long time. Some amazing athletes have been in this event and are in this event. And out of everybody in the world, there's billions with a B people in this world. And there have been billions of people. And he is the 18th best person to ever do that. That that, that kind of boggles me, actually. I don't know that we put enough, like we think 18, it's like, ah, big deal. We got, uh, you know, Krauser, <laughs> number one. Yeah. Like the 18th best dude. I'm not the 18th best guy at anything. I'm not the oh, 18th yeah. best guy in my house. And, and I only live with four people. I'm not the 18th best person on anything. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. to me. But that's what, I mean, that's what track and field is. You know, track and field is, is record keeping. It is 
um, the, the best to ever do it. The you know, and the the long history of the sport, uh, and you know, anytime that you can say that you're one of the top whatever in the world to do it is just amazing. It is. It is. Well, we're going to find out if you are top 18 in, in anything. <laughs> Spoiler, he just said no, but I bet that's not true. So, uh, Kyle, let's uh, let's talk about your journey here. Um, you know, I'm just so happy again that you'd be here with us today. You know, our goal here uh, is to uplift and honor coaches around the country and, uh, and uh, a little bit around the world. We've had some international coaches here as well. Uh, that's why we started the podcast over three years ago now, two years ago, going on three years. Uh, and so I just love learning about coaches, why you got into coaching, why you did the stops you did, the things, I mean, your, your impact on young people is immeasurable. And I mean that on any level, if you're listening right now and you're a middle school coach, you're a division one coach, NEI, JUCO, it doesn't matter. Your impact on young people is immeasurable. So I'm excited to learn about your journey, Kyle. So let's talk about, you know, coaching. I've said this many, many times. There's a time in your life, if you were an athlete, I'm assuming here a little bit, but there's a time in your life when coaching was all about what happened to you. So a coach coached into you, but at some point in your life, something flipped and it was like, oh, wait a minute. I could be a coach. Like this could be my career. Can you remember that? When and how did you, how did coaching become like, oh, I could actually, like, I can make a living. This could be my job. Other people teach, other people are lawyers, other people are business owners. I can coach track. When did that happen for you? Uh, it had probably had to be at some point in time in college. Uh, I went to the University of Indianapolis. Um, uh, go go Greyhounds. Oh, yeah, go Greyhounds. Right. Uh, Scott Bangman's the head coach there. Um, but like the majority of pretty big division two schools, um, I had a lot of, uh, event coaches that really impacted me. Uh, coach Holman was a throws coach there. He was an old retired teacher um, who just loved to throw. Uh, and it, he, he made it fun. Um, but honestly, it, ironically, one of the, one of the people that made me really want to get into coaching is my senior year. I had the opportunity to help out a seventh grade football team. Um, and I just, I wanted to get into coaching. I, I, I really enjoyed sports. Uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if it was basketball. I didn't care if it was football. I, I just, I always enjoyed athletics. So I coached uh, seventh grade football and I, I worked with a man named Don Ivy, um, who has kind of devoted his life to high school and youth athletics. Um, he's the head softball coach at Decatur Central High School and just outside of Indianapolis. Um, and he just, he made it fun. It was, you know, it's, it's seventh grade football, um, made it a lot of fun. Uh, and then, um, you know, kind of going into my senior year, I was like, you know what? He had so much fun being a coach for just these youth kids. You know, maybe this is something that I want to do. Maybe this is something that I want to get into full time and see if I can kind of devote my life and career to, you know, the next level of athletics. So, so did you go into U of ND as a, like an education major or what, what, were, what did you actually go to major in and thought you were going to actually be, we, we don't normally grow up thinking we're going to be coaches, right? No, we, yeah. we grew up thinking we're going to be firemen or police or astronauts. Right. And eventually when we get to college reality hits, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go be an accountant or something. What, what did you actually go into major and become? I, I originally uh, was going to go into marketing. Um, I wanted, I really enjoyed um, medicine in Indianapolis is home to Eli Lilly. Um, so I wanted to do pharmaceutical sales. Oh. Uh, that's what I really wanted to do. I uh, got into it for two years and just realized it's, it's, a, it's a different type of living. It's a different world. Um, and then I actually changed my major to education. 
Um, my, my family is all educators. Uh, my dad taught fifth grade for 40 years. My mom taught high school for 40 years. Wow. My brother is a, um, high school basketball coach and teacher. Uh, so education has always been kind of really big in my life. Um, and my, my brother's five years older than me. So he was actually coaching high school basketball, uh, when I was in college. So probably some pretty easy influence to get into the coaching world. Um, with that. So ended up graduating from UND, actually with an exercise science degree, not education, um, because I did realize I wanted kind of more of that athletic side of things, maybe not quite the teaching side of things. Yeah, w- with all those teachers in the family, I'm actually surprised. W- what did they think about you actually starting out as marketing? Were they like, hey, wait a minute now, <laughs> we're, we're a family of teachers and educators. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it's interesting. You hear about some of these families, it's like, you know, uh, they, family full of police officers or firefighters and like that's the comfort um me walking into a high school and standing in front of a classroom is just comfortable um just because i I grew up in it i actually spent two total educational years without a parent in the building that i went to school in um you know my dad was in the elementary school that i went to i went to the middle school for two years where i didn't have a parent there and then i went to high school for four years where my mom was there um, so, you know, uh, probably caught them off guard a little bit that I was interested in marketing. Um, but I had some really awesome business, uh, teachers at my high school that really encouraged me to, to explore that route. And I really enjoyed it. It just wasn't for me as a career. Well, I'm glad they didn't pressure you because <laughs> sometimes yeah. those, those families of police officers or, you know, whatever genre, it's like, oh, no, you have to, like, this is what we do. And now you're the black sheep when you go off. And uh, typically when someone goes off and does what they have passion towards, whether it's what the family tradition is or not, good things happen. So I'm glad that you got to explore that avenue. And then what's interesting is how it kind of tractor beamed you back in though. It's like, oh man, I've actually been an educator my whole life. Yeah, This is what I'm going to do here. That's awesome. So you coach seventh grade football. Uh, did you, were you a football player in high school? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, like most uh, track athletes started off playing football um, and then ended up throwing, uh, throwing the shot put in high school. Uh, had a lot of success with that. Um, but I, I still love football. Um, still a passion of mine. Every single year you always see, um, at the NFL draft, it's like, you know, these, you know, 20 of the top 40 were track athletes in high school. Yeah, easy. That's great. I'd love to see them continue to compete in track and field. Um, but yeah, you know, started off with football, went over to track and it's been track kind of ever since. What were you, did you grow up in Indy? I know you went to school there. I, I went to, um, Warsaw high school in Warsaw, Indiana. So it's about two and a half hours north of Indianapolis. So were you a Colts fan? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, been a Colts fan. Um, kind of you know i grew up when peyton manning was quarterback um so hard to not be a colts fan at that point in time um and i was always the weird one where you know i've always been a big guy six four you know 275 pounds um i i didn't own a peyton manning jersey i owned a jeff saturday jersey uh you know always always loved the big guys uh even even to this day um you know offensive lineman quentin nelson uh those guys are the guys that i tend to always love to watch and, and see what they do didn't Saturday play like some ungodly amount of years? Like, wasn't he a seventeen-year guy or something like that? Yeah, he played for he played for a really long time. Yeah, uh, it's quite amazing. I, I'm not an NFL guy at all. Uh, I grew up in Alabama, so there are no NFL teams. So I was, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a college football guy, uh, so I don't pay attention to much to the Sundays. But 
uh, you know, I think the average career in the NFL is something like just under three seasons. And so anytime a Saturday or, or even Peyton Manning, as you mentioned, I mean, played 10 plus years, that, that's just an anomaly. You know, Tom Brady playing, I don't know, what's he been playing since 1980 or something like that? Yeah, uh, it, pretty it's, much. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, a luck has to play into it, right, as well from injuries and, and what have you. So it's it's really amazing all right so you did seventh grade football you know you you, you love track you're a big guy so you're a shot putter love that event so of course you were watching the world champs last night uh for that event uh what was your first track coaching experience and, and did you as a football and track kind of guy did you ever especially you started with seventh grade football did you ever have a moment of like should i go coaching football or should i go coaching track or was it always my, my passion for track trumps my passion for football coaching i mean i i continued to do track in college i didn't do football in college um so a lot of times that's it's really hard to get your foot in the door if you haven't done it um so i i explored the the track route from, uh you know one thing that i did that I, I tell my team today is uh i actually emailed every single collegiate coach in the state of indiana um, saying, Hey, you know, I would really love this opportunity, even if it's just to volunteer with your program. Um, I want to get into coaching. I, I, I would really appreciate the opportunity. Heard back from a couple of them said, no, heard back from about three or four that said, Hey, you know, let's get you on the campus. Let's interview. Let's see what we can do. All right. So this is a topic that comes up every once in a while. I bet you out of 166 episodes, this has come up I'll exaggerate and say 16 times. So 10% because that's an easy number. And I love this because this is a passion of mine. So you said you emailed every coach in Indiana. I want to know, did you email each of them individually or did you group them all, put them in the blind carbon copy, or did you make the, the real sin and put them all in the two? Uh, the, the, <laughs> or did you individually? Tell me how you executed that. I, I individually emailed them all. Attaboy, um, there we go. And, and I, tried to, I tried to personalize it the best I could. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was... 22 years old. So I probably screwed up every now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, in, individually tried to email all of them, um, tried to do my research on it too. You know, I wanted to go to a school that at least had a couple throwers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want to go to a school, you know, you get online nowadays and it's like, uh, Oh, you know, I want to help, you know, your throws group. Well, we have one total thrower and that's all <laughs> we've ever had for the last six years. Right. It just kind of makes you look silly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ind individual emails. I love that. And I love and not hate, not the opposite, but you said some responded and some didn't. Yeah. Um, and obviously I don't like the ones who didn't, I don't like the action, not the people, uh, but I can also understand. I mean, you, you yourself must get a hundred emails a day. It's, oh, yeah. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but a lot of emails a day. Right. Um, but I love that the ones that, uh, that took, a second, even, and I'm sure is uh, of the ones that did respond, some of them were probably pretty, pretty short and curt, like, Hey, you know, we don't have a spot. Thanks for emailing yeah. done. Right. Uh, and some maybe, you know, like you said, said, Hey, yeah, let's, let's get you on campus, take a look, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And, and I, what the reason I love that is uh, it just took a couple of seconds for the long ones and the short emails. It just took a couple of seconds to respond and give some encouragement to someone who was trying it, you know? So I, I really, I really respect that out of those uh, men and women who, who did respond. And I respect that you did not group email everybody that you yeah. individually email that that to me you know when, when i think about the definition of the word hustle that to me is the hustle it's like oh okay i'm gonna reach out to everyone i don't care how long it's gonna take i don't care that it's gonna take a little extra to individualize that's it man i love that D do you 
did you do that? Was that something new as a 22 year old or had that been something that you'd done like coming out of high school? Did you email every coach to try to get on their team or was this something kind of new for you? Uh, probably, probably something pretty new, you know, uh, you go into your senior year and I didn't, I didn't really fully know like what, what a career in collegiate athletics look like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of kids see Nick Saban, a lot of kids see, you know, Jim Harbaugh, and it's these big name people. They don't see what it's really like. So I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know. Um, but I, I knew at that point in time that like I had to have it in my life. And so I was willing to make whatever sacrifice that I needed to make. And if that meant I spent an entire weekend at 22 years old, emailing coaches, seeing if I get a response that was worth it to me. Hey, that's great. Cause there are plenty of people, unfortunately, that think that they are above taking 48 hours to just crank out email after email after email, you know what I'm saying? So like, I love that humbleness of like, who, who am I? I, I got to put in work just like I asked myself to do it as an athlete. And if yeah. I want to coach, I'm probably going to ask my athletes that, well, golly, I, I better, better lead from it by example. So I love that humbleness of just, just grinding, getting it done. Like I said, that, that to me is the proper definition of hustle, like a positive, uh, overexertion. Like hopefully you have not had to do that again, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that you, you, you did it and got it done. And, uh, and so did it bear fruit? Yeah, it did. You know, I, I, it actually turned into two very legitimate interview opportunities. Wow. Um, one in which was my first coaching job in, in collegiate athletics, um, was able to become the throws coach at Manchester university, which is an NCAA division three school in North Manchester, Indiana. Um, worked for Brian Cashaller, who's been the head coach there now for, I think, like 22, 23, 24 years. Um, uh, it was actually kind of a perfect storm. They're only about 30 minutes away from my hometown. Um, so somewhat comfortable. And the perks were great. They weren't going to pay you a whole lot of money, but you got to sleep in a dorm room and they gave you a meal plan. Um, so uh, it, it worked out really well for someone who was just willing to do whatever it took to get into college athletics. And they let me do that. Um, so really, really grateful for Coach Cash Dollar to, to let me kind of figure it out. Yeah, I lo- love Brian. What a great guy. Love that school. Uh, recently did a whole new facility yeah. and just it's amazing and, and they deserve it all. So I'm so happy that they were able to uh, get that new facility there and, and what they're doing there at Manchester. What was it? So you mentioned, you know, staying in the dorms, having a meal plan. And to me, unfortunately, that's a common thing. I hear that a lot. I don't like it because I, you know, one of my advocacies is the continual professionalization of collegiate track and field coaches uh, and and track and field coaches in general, but on the college side of, you know, no more starting salaries of 15,000, 20,000, no more dorms and and things like that. Uh, Actually, I'm okay with that if the staff was fully built out like, Oh, they had six full-time guys and gals that were making 50 plus and whatever. Uh, And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. We needed an intern. Like I kind of get that. Uh, I don't like free labor intern, but you know, I'm I'm okay with that. As you did that though, was there, when you thought you were getting into coaching and so you emailed all these coaches. So when you said Indiana, so you're talking about Purdue, Indiana, I mean, and there's big schools, amazing programs all throughout the state was it a letdown when it was like, man, I'm back in the door. Like I'm basically still a college kid here. I'm still, I'm still living in the dorm, still eating the college. Or was it like, man, I am just so happy to have like, you know, what is it? A uh, will work for peanuts. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. I, at least I get to eat and I get to coach at the same time. 
you know, it, it was, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I had an office with, with my name on it. I, I was, I was coach Allison. Um, and that was something that was really important to me. And so it, it, it didn't bother me. And, and, you know, the first dorm room that I lived in, it didn't have air conditioning and I uh, Midwestern summers are brutal. And I, I remember I moved into that dorm room like the first week of August and it's a hundred degrees outside. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. But then all of a sudden you get into, into it, you start doing strength training, you start building relationships with the other coaches and other sports. And then it's, it's bigger than just you. It's bigger than what you want, you know, for your own personal life. There's a working living university here that there are people that might be relying on you to be successful. Mm. And, you know, that's something that was instilled in me by my parents. You know, they worked for the same school corporation their entire careers. And, you know, for me to have an opportunity to work in a small private institution, there are not a lot of employees that work at schools like that. And for me to be selected, it didn't matter. I was going to be willing to work there. And, you know, you talk about Fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars. I was making less than that, yeah. um, but the money—the money wasn't that big of a deal for me. You know, it, yeah, it'd be nice to have you know these nice huge paychecks, but uh, the opportunity to work with with college athletics. Um, you know, Coach Cash Dollar gave me the opportunity to to do that, and that meant a lot to me. And I was going to bust my butt for him to make sure that I didn't let him down. I'm going to challenge just a little bit. I don't think you're actually saying it this way. So this is, uh, it's not necessarily a challenge about you and what you just said there, but the challenge I, I like to always give when someone says it's not about the money, it was okay. And, and I'm cool with that because I understand passion. I get that. And you know what? Uh, I, I'm in love with people who have a passion to do art in their garage uh, that have the passion to create their own ham radio station, you know, hobbies. You, you've got to have money. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'll fight back against anybody that says, oh, you can't do it for the money. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I mean, that can't be your maybe primary, but uh, I need money to raise a family, have a life, et cetera. So uh, I don't think that's the way you're saying it, though. So I'm not really challenging what you said there in, in your experience, Kyle, just in general, when people talk about like, oh, yeah, I don't do it for the money. It's like, well, how, how do you get a house for your kids? How do you pay for school? You know, you got money is not evil. Uh, being, you know, doing evil things to make money is evil. Money's good because <laughs> you need it for your, yeah. for your life. And I, you know? and I was at a very different point in time in my life than I am now. You no, know, great I'm, point. I'm, I was, you know, was going to ask. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm married. I yep. have a son now. Yep. I'm not yep. going to quit my job and go take something for 12 grand a year. Right. Um, you yeah, know, that, that, that's I, a great point too, though, that Kyle, about the stages of your life. So that, that's yeah. why I say I wasn't challenging what because that, that's why I didn't think you were saying it the way you the, the way you said it was not how I'm challenging what I hear from others sometimes because uh, it, it feels like this altruistic thing at points sometimes we're like oh yeah you know I'm I'm 40 and I have a family and I'm making 15 grand because I love the sport and it's like well well then I kind of feel like you're being selfish because <laughs> you, you're putting your family to the side to do coaching and while coaching is the tops. I mean, obviously not only my career, my former career as a college coach, uh, my career here doing this interviewing coach, of course, I think coaching, uh, specifically track and field is the tops, but it can't be number one. Yeah. You have to do this for others. You have to do this for yourself so that you can be the available for others. Okay. Off that soapbox. Sorry. Uh, okay. So I always think about people's first jobs, especially in track and field. 
as the tryout period, even though yeah. you had a little bit of coaching at seventh grade football. And so there, there was real coaching there. So you got to experience, you know, the good and bad of athletes uh, and their attitudes and positive and negative and things like that. So I always think about the first coaching job though, is like, okay, I had this thought of what coaching is. Well, now I'm doing it and I either like, okay, yep. I love it. Or I'm going to accept it or okay, what was my degree in? Okay, I can go back and do that job. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go try something else. What was that experience uh, actually coaching? So now you're responsible for kids, the weight room, the the technique, the competitions. What was that experience like for you? Um, You know, I, I, I think back on that time now sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going into my ninth year of coaching collegiately, and I'm like, I probably was an awful coach that first indoor season. <laughs> I probably was horrible. Um. But I, I, I actually very fondly remember that first outdoor season. Um, I, I had a young lady who was a freshman who ended up being the, the conference champion in the hammer. Wow. Um, and I had a young man who ended up being the conference champion in the discus. And he went on to get second in the hammer that year in the conference. And I think that success led me to be hooked. Mm-hmm. I was in it. Um, and it, it, you know, it wasn't just the kids who were winning the conference championships either. It was, you know, coming in, you have a, a, a wide range of kids. You've got a kid who may be a freshman who've never been taught by a legitimate pros coach before, or you may have someone who's a junior or a senior who's been in a program for two or three years, but to be able to see them get better, to turn a, a 45 meter guy hammer thrower into a 51 meter hammer thrower in your first year of coaching you're just addicted to it and you love seeing the progress. Um, you love seeing, you know, the delayed satisfaction of in the weight room in the morning, doing what you need to do to be successful and then going out there and getting the reward for it. That first year was, was big. That first year of having the success one with a, a junior male thrower and then a freshman female thrower, um, you know, the freshman female thrower, you're sitting here going, well, if we could do this as a freshman, what can we do? you know, how, how much better can we get? Um, and so I, I was in it after that first outdoor season. Did you learn the hammer in college? Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I went to college as a shot put guy, right. um, realized I was never going to be strong enough to be a really elite shot put thrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of gravitated over to the hammer. I didn't have a spectac- spectacular collegiate career. You know, I, I never made an NCAA division two national championship. Um, anything like that but I the new throwing event of the hammer kind of challenged me and I really like that and I've always kind of gravitated towards the hammer post you know my athletic career to to be able to develop my athletes yeah I love the hammer I've said it many many times Uh, when I was a college coach I would go early to practice just to watch the hammer you know the hammer throwers are always early and before and away from everybody Uh, I, I just loved watching practice it was it was like this most artistic ballet violent <laughs> event that there is. And I just, it's always been my favorite uh, event out of all the the throws. So what were you during that first year? Uh, I love how, like, I have so much respect for you to say, I look back and I probably was a terrible throws coach uh, specifically through indoor, because I think if you, if you've coached for some amount of time, and I don't know what that time is, five years, 10 years, 20, if you're not looking back at your first years or, or any back seasons and go, yeah, I'm better than I was then. Uh, I, I'm not sure you're doing it right. <laughs> as a coach, yeah. uh, you know, if it, I, I uh, I've, think about, you know, when I first started coaching, I coached a couple years of high school and I still, that was a long time. I was, 96 97 so that feels like 
ancient ancient you weren't even born in 96 yeah you know. i was i was six years old all right there you go <laughs> that's always my way of asking people their age without actually asking yeah <laughs> little interview uh <laughs> secrets right there um I still, when I catch those kids, uh, you know, they're adults now, but I catch those kids on Facebook. I still like, Hey man, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like, I have no idea what I was doing for that yeah. workout. Like, what was I, what an idiot. I'm so sorry, man. I, I, I held you back and, and that's unforgivable. Uh, what were you, where was your headspace for coaching education at that point? Um, still early in your, in your career. So maybe you don't even know about coaching education besides asking other coaches, which is a form of coaching education. What were you doing to learn how to coach your craft better? Yeah, I luckily, you know, Brian Cashdollar is an amazing coach. If you do not know who Brian Cashdollar is at Manchester University, send him an email, get to Agreed. Um, he loves the sport. Cosign, 100%. One of the greatest yeah. guys out there. Loves the sport, loves and as soon as we said that, we froze up. Brian must have a uh, a hex on our our internet here, so we're going to give Kyle just a second to to get back on here. See, there he is. I, I said that Brian had a uh, a hex on our internet. As soon as we started talking good about him, he was like, "I right, pause this. We ain't having this." Yeah. Start, start over with Brian Cash Dollars, one of the greatest people in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you know I get hired in August to work for Brian, and then in December. I'm in, I think we were in Orlando at the coaches convention, mm -hmm. um, put on by the coaches association. Um, and you know, the fact that you're willing to pay for me to fly with you to Orlando to, right. you know, go to the convention and then, you know, Hey, your job while you're here is to go to as many seminars as you possibly can. Um, and to learn from some of the best of the best. Um, that was kind of my first real, um, you know, coaching education. Uh, in between the summer, between my first and second year, I went on to get my USATF level one certification. Um, and so, you know, that, that was always kind of the thing, you know, get your level one, um, continue going to the coaches convention. Now, you know, the coaches association has gone on to do a lot of these um, certifications and symposiums and take classes and, um, you know, different things like that. But I think in my nine years of coaching collegiate, track and field I've only not gone to the convention one time um and that was my first year as the head coach at St. Francis uh, I even did the virtual coaching in the middle of COVID um to to be able to hear from them so coaching education is a big deal um I don't care if you've been in it for 50 years you still can learn from someone well, what did you think about level one so I, I was a big USATF I was before the USTF CCCA Academy uh, so I, I did level one and did uh, several of the level twos. The level one is always interesting to me because it's the broad scope of all the events. Yeah. And as a thrower and as a throws coach, that means you had to sit through endurance, sprints, jumps, <laughs> pole vault, right? Uh, what did you think about, like when they started talking about endurance and stuff, did you just sleep or was there anything that you learned or I'll even say, was there anything exciting? Like, Oh man, I had no idea they did this for 10 Ks or whatever. You know, I, I, I had the, I think I had the understanding that at some point in time I wanted to become a head coach mm -hmm. going into that already. Uh, so I had to pay attention, you know, it, it's incredibly difficult. Even if you look on at the division one, division two, division three, NAI level, there are very few throws specialty head coaches. So I had to be willing to diversify who I was and open my education to other people. And, you know, I remember I'm sitting here even today, you know, wearing a cross country <laughs> shirt. Um, you know, I remember I wore a Manchester cross country shirt one day 
And the looks that I got from people, it's like, why are you, you know, you're here in level one learning about endurance. And it's like, yeah, I am, you know, there might be an athlete before a race that walked up to me and is nervous and they might need a little word of encouragement. Wow. And I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, it goes back to, you know, coach cash dollar entrusted me to be a coach in his program and I need to be the best coach that I possibly could be. Yeah, I wasn't gonna let today go by without giving you mad respect at wearing a cross country shirt, my man. That that's uh, th that's pretty good. You easily could have just repped the throws and repped St. Francis, yeah. but you repped the cross country team because that's the next season up. So I, I love it, man. That's really good. It, it it honestly really helped because my very first year at Manchester, we had a very competitive men's cross country team. They qualified for NCAA Division three national championship that year. Um, won the conference championship as a team. I think that was their third year in a row that they had won um placed really high at the regional level so uh cross country is a very addicting thing if you can figure out the whole team aspect of it mm -hmm. um and me being a football guy i love the team aspect you know you could have the best four runners in the nation but if your number five isn't very good sorry you're gonna lose yeah. um and so that's that's something that i i really enjoyed and we had a lot of really awesome upperclassmen runners um on that team that they were willing to explain it to the throws guy. Uh, you know, I, I finally remember, I would always say, can you break that down into 400 meters for me? Because I could, I could understand the one lap around the track, you know, what are their 400 meter splits? And it's like, okay, well, you just did this for, you know, how many ever miles you just did it for five miles. Oh man, you know, that's, you know, 70 second 400s. And it's like, wow, that's quick. You know, you're running. Uh, and and it just led me to just fall in love with kind of a completely separate sport of cross country. Yeah, that's interesting. You break it down to quarters because similar, if you can tell me like if a distance runner is doing repeat 800s or repeat miles, like I, I get that. Like, oh, okay, wow. They're, they're doing 415 repeat miles. Well, golly, yeah. you know, sub four is amazing. So if they're doing five of those at 415, that's really good, right? Uh, but when they start doing like, oh yeah, we did 1K repeats. I'm like, all right, I am lost. There, There is no race that I'm very yeah. familiar with. That, uh, so I had to know 1K time. So I get lost. So I love that you had to kind of just break it down. It's kind of similar in the throws, right? When someone talks about throws, well, how do you throw a 16 pound ball 70 feet? Well, okay, it starts with a start and then you have to have the position in the middle, then you have the power position, et cetera. Uh, just kind of, it's just phases of what you're you're coaching yeah so what did you do you know the hammer again just fascinates me not only because i love it and it's my favorite throwing event but it's typically not something that you've done since freshman year like you probably started throwing the shot put at freshman year so as you went through high school and then college you know the shot put in college is i'm gonna do air quotes here the same as the shot put in high school meaning the event is similar maybe you went from a um uh, a glider to a spinner or something yeah. like that but it's still 16 pounds and you're throwing it the hammer you did not do typically not do anything like you might not even have known what the hammer was in high school and then you get to college and like hey uh, learn how to turn <laughs> and you're, yeah. it's a whole new event right so even as a first second year coach it's still only your fifth or sixth roughly year of even knowing what the hammer is how did you what did you do to help become a better to understand the event better to coach it better where you uh you know you're in indiana so you got one of the, i mean you got a lot of good throws coaches in indiana but you got one of the top hammer guys and larry judge down there at ball state now mm -hmm. in nc uh, was there anybody that you reached out to was there was there any like you, you saw this one video and man it was from uh bonder check and it just it, it totally opened up my mind on how to throw was there any thing that you were doing to help understand that amazing event better 
Yeah, I mean, uh, being a Division two guy, loving the throws in the early 2010s, uh, Kibway Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kibway, Kibway was the guy. Uh, you know, he threw it at Division two school. Um, so I just remember, I mean, even to this day in my office, I have a picture of Kibway up just because I think he really kind of, he does things differently. And I, and I love that about him. Um, you know, being a Midwest guy, you know, Coach Judge did the um, – uh, my level one training for throws. Uh, oh. He was he was the level one instructor. So literally learning from one of the best guys um, right then and there. Uh, and then you can't be a Midwest guy if you don't miss, mention Judd Logan. Uh, yes, um, of course. Judd, yeah, you know, Judd's, Judd uh, is a legend, always will be a legend. Um, you know, and just being uh, at UND during my time, the, the year that I competed in them, they actually had the Division II National Champion, the Hammer. Um, and so you kind of can't come into a program there where uh, hammer was a big deal. Uh, we had a bunch of really competitive female throwers. We had a bunch of really competitive male throwers where, you know, we're talking about you know, 65 to 68 meters um, was kind of the expectation. Uh, and so I had a, a really amazing teammate, uh, Willie Little, who coaches high school track at Brownsburg High School, um, kind of has his own little throws group right now, um, who he was, he was, uh, just someone who was willing to be patient, understanding that you're not going to be great at it your freshman year, but also the understanding of you as a freshman learning it is also the same as the person from uh, Lewis University who's a freshman learning it. Uh, it's a completely new start. It's a new event. Um, and that's kind of how I teach to my kids today is it's kind of a level playing field. Unless if you're coming from one of these European countries where they teach you it at the age of eight, um, you are going to learn the hammer hopefully at the same time as your competitor. That's a great point. I, I actually never thought about it that way. I mean, as an athlete coming in, who's nervous about the hammer, I feel like that'd be kind of, um, weightlift, like take the weight off your chest of like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm starting the same spot. Everybody mm-hmm. to your point, some very few exceptions, unfortunately, to be honest with you, not just the international experience exception, but I wish many, many, many more high school athletes were able to do the hammer. Uh, so it is a, an exception, but what, again, what a, like, again, just a relief of like, Oh, I'm not up. You know, when you learn the javelin, you get 22 States to do the javelin. Yeah. There's a lot of people got experience. I'm not, I'm not starting from ground zero, but that hammer. Yeah. We're all in the same playing field. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's something that you know we you you forget coaching collegiately what it's like sometimes to teach someone the basic, mm. the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's something that I've really tried to focus on. You know, I'll tell my kids you got to do a thousand turns before I even let you let go of the hammer, because um, if you don't know how to turn, you're never going to know how to throw it. Uh, and just kind of really getting that, that groundwork in, you know, it's like the first time you throw a shot, but I always tell the kids, and we have a lot of multi-sport athletes, you know, can you remember the first time you shot a basketball? Uh, you know, being in Indiana, everyone shot a basketball before. Um, when, when's the first time you shot a basketball? Okay. The five, all right, well, you're 18 now, hmm. you know, you've had all this year of experience of shooting the basketball where it's just second nature to you. Congratulations. You're now a five-year-old again, when it comes to throwing the hammer. <laughs> Uh, and that it just, it takes time. You have to be patient, um, with a new event, you're going to have really high highs, really low lows, uh, and just kind of navigating those with those athletes. And that's, 
that's why we have seen success in the hammer is just being patient and understanding that it's a year process. It's years of time, not just instant success. That, that might be my favorite quote ever, Kyle. Oh, congratulations. You're five year old. Five years yeah. Old yeah. <laughs> You've got to come up with a St. Francis hammer shirt with that on the back. It's like, congratulations. Oh, yeah. You're five years old. That is awesome. And, and such the truth. Uh, there, there are a carve out a few events in college where you are, to, that was a great visual for me, at least of going back to the bait. Like you, you do not know how to turn at all in the hammer. I'm not trying to help you get better at turning. I got to start with teaching yeah i got to teach you how to hold the handle it's not necessarily intuitive on how you would handle the hammer uh, the hammer handle i I love that and you start thinking about other events like the 100 and the 110s and things like uh you know the the mile it's like oh okay i don't have to teach uh an incoming freshman miler how to run how to step one in front of the other i got to teach them to get better they get they got to get their splits better and things like that but i don't have to teach them from stage one That, that that goes down to um you know, probably the javelin a lot, the hammer for sure a lot. Um, I'm gonna sneak in the the um, steeplechase because yeah. the hurdling technique, right? Maybe, maybe, uh, and then some multi athletes, of course. You know, yeah. maybe specifically in the throws because I think most ma- uh, multis come from a uh, sprints, hurdles, jumps background, yeah. so you got to learn the throws and stuff. So that's a that's a really good point. Again, best quote I've ever heard of the hammer. Congrats, you're five years old. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember, you know, two years ago, we had a young lady at St. Francis who ended up being fourth in the nation in the javelin uh, at the NAI level. And she was four years into throwing jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a senior and she was, you know, warming up and she, she kind of had a bubbly personality. She didn't know a stranger. Um, she's talking to all the girls out there warming up. And then, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I threw it in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that girl over there, we were in the same high school conference together. Uh, and you know, she was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm, I am completely outmanned. And like her, her, she qualified as a sophomore, uh, and got dead last. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her junior year was the COVID year. And then her senior year, she goes on to get fourth. And it was just kind of a very eye opening experience. Again, for me, still as a really young coach to realize that, you know, there are other kids out there that are going to be more experienced Uh, and you can't really control that, but what you can control is just how you package it to your kids and get them to believe it. You know, you know, I always flip things. I'm much more coach centric and your job is to be athlete centric as the coach. Right. Uh, But when you said that I started thinking about coaches, so you you talked about, you know, framing it that, you know, these other people athletically have done it longer. uh, They're doing it as good and you're, you're getting fourth and then winning, you know, that's amazing. I think I I literally just started thinking about that for coaches. You know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as coaches that we want to win the the title, whether it's your conference or national, we want to have all the all Americans and X, Y, Z event. Uh, But maybe you're just starting. And when I say just starting, maybe you're year 10 because uh, there's plenty of 20 30 40 year experienced coaches out there that are doing amazing but you're up against every other coach that hopefully uh it, to some degree has the same attitude as you so they're learning they're educating they're recruiting athletes maybe they recruit a, a more athletic person than your kid etc uh you're up against it and so uh, you know we've talked a lot here lately on the podcast about that winning is hard and i think we forget that sometimes especially in track because we have so many events and so many meets you know, when you go to a basketball game, there's one winner, right? We don't we don't count the person who scores the most points as the winner. That could be the other team. There's one winning team. But it, we go to a track meet. There are what is there? 22 events at college. Yeah. 20, 21, 22, uh, and then male and women, uh, male and women. Yeah, male and female. So uh, so 44 events. So we we get to see 40. So sometimes I think we 
forget like, oh, like it actually is hard. I know that we have 44 winners, but it's hard to win. Yeah. And it gets, it gets, I mean, for me going from an NCAA division three school to an NAI school, the level like division three is very competitive, Amazing, but NAIA, the top end is just ridiculous sometimes of just, you know, I, I had a young man this last year who he threw 59 meters in the hammer um, for eighth place in the nation. And he got third at our conference championship. Hmm. Uh, you know, just the top end to be good the day in the day out, it, it truly is a grind for coaches and it's a grind for your athletes too. Your athletes that want to be successful and that want to be good, um, you know, winning matters to them. And then understanding how hard it is to win um, is something that I think is kind of becoming more of the forefront of just like, how do you get them to that next level? How do you get them to go from being good to great? Because the the super uber talented athletes are walking into the University of St. Francis um, to, to run track and field. We have to develop our athletes. So let's explore that. Two topics there I'd love to explore with you. One is, we'll put a pin on it, help me remember about developing your athletes. Yeah. Uh, in, in regards to how you said, you know, we're not getting the number one kid in the nation at St. Francis, which by the way, 99.9% of the universities aren't yeah. getting the number one or even top 10, by the way, but I, yeah. I'd like to explore that with you. But let's go back. So, so real quick, let's make sure we connect the dots. You go from Manchester to St. Francis. Correct? St. Francis, yeah. Yeah, I spent three years at, at Manchester University um at my third year kind of kind of full circle what we talked about earlier I got married um and it it became more than just me at that point in time so I was kind of ready to move on and and then find a a position that worked for my family at that point in time um I had the opportunity to apply for the job at St. Francis Uh, Mike McCaffrey our athletic director um entrusted a 26 year old I was only 26 um to to take the reins um, but it just kind of an interesting story of how I got the St. Francis job. Um, we had a baseball player who loved to lift and my office was in the weight room and I unlocked the door for him to lift. And he goes, Hey, I was in Fort Wayne the other day and heard that the St. Francis truck and field position was open, but because I was willing to make, you know, relationships with other sports teams and other athletes and not just be so track focused, he felt comfortable to tell me. He felt yeah. comfortable to talk to me. I opened the weight room for him and supervised him while he left. Um, and, it, it, you know, you think about chance. I hadn't seen it on any job posting. I hadn't seen it on any, you know, big national board. Um, but then, you know, applied for it, interviewed for it, uh, got the job. Um, we actually, our first meet was in like middle of September. And I think I got hired two days prior. Uh, to our first cross country meet. Oh, um, so well, that was a very quick turnaround, but uh, been at St. Francis ever since. Uh, you know, I love that because, you know, there's a lot of words. That's a great example of a, a lot of different words, right? Fate, luck, serendipity. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to your point, I, I love your point about, you know what? I, I didn't just stick to just track people, you know, staying in my bubble because I got out of my my bubble. This opportunity was presented to me. Uh, being nice to people, I I, I don't want to yeah. overlook that part of the story too. It's like, you know, you weren't doing something to get something, but you did get something. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now an amazing position there. So I love that story, especially as we, you know, good or bad, the one message board, um, link or topic or whatever that I will uh, read religiously is the open coaching positions yeah. on let's run.com yeah, yeah yeah i think there's a lot of people right now that want to judge me that also go to that 
thread or w- whatever, you know? Uh, so you can judge all you want. It's the one. I don't really look at any others. Uh, but that one, I just find fascinating again, partly because of my passion of coaches. So I like to see where yeah. people are going. I also love to see, uh, the people that are just wildly, you know, the trolls. It's like, what? Well, you're just an idiot. Uh, yeah. but, I, but I also respect that there are people who know a lot of stuff that are in quote unquote, uh, big time positions, important positions that do report on there. There, there, there is just as many, uh, you know, post number 21, that says Kyle Allison's going to the university of Arkansas. And then a hundred posts later is the announcement of Kyle Allison going to, you know, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, you guys keep forgetting that people are on here, you know? Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, but on that message on that, uh, thread, uh, there's a lot of like, Oh, every position when it's open, especially head coaching positions, it's already known before it's posted. And, uh, Oh, you've got to know someone. So like if someone from the outside were to look at, uh, Kyle, how you got to St. Francis, it would have been like, Oh, Kyle knew one of the hiring ADs before the job was even hired. Or, you know, it went to school with the SWA at St. Francis. Like that's how he got the job. I mean, come on. He's only been a coach for three seasons. Well, come on. He obviously yeah. knew someone. It's like, uh, actually, scratch all that didn't even know the job was open yeah didn't, didn't know anybody there had to interview and earn the job just like it quote unquote is supposed to be right like most of the real world out there uh that's out there so i love that kind of uh like i said call it what you want fate serendipity dumb luck <laughs> uh, i love that you had to you know first of all that it came from a kindness act and then you interviewed and had to earn the job just like you're supposed to so i, I love yeah. that uh, so before I get to the topic I wanted to get to, I always do love to ask first time head coaches. Uh, so were you ready? Were you prepared? And you're three years in. So I, if you say yes, I'm just going to cut the interview short right here no. right now, Kyle. Okay. So you're good. You already said no. So what I'm always interested in now. So how long have you been at, at St. Francis? I, I just finished my sixth year. So going into seven years. Beautiful, beautiful. So you're kind of still a rookie, but you're a much yeah. more experienced rookie. Uh, but when you look back now, cause one of the amazing things that we have today that we didn't have yesterday is experience. We don't have, you know, perspective of what, you know, when we're going through it, but now you do for six, almost seven seasons. What as the head coach, when you got the job, what surprised you? Cause there's a lot of people right now that think they want to be in your, in your chair. They want to be a head coach. Uh, they, for whatever reason, whether they think it's power, pay title, um, whatever they think it is, what surprised you the most of like, oh crap, I'm the head coach. I, I'm responsible for. Oh man. Uh, I don't know if it's a simple, I, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for the university's success in athletics. Um, and uh, St. Francis was in a rough spot at that point in time with the, the program. Uh, we only had 16 total in the entire program. Uh, men women cross track we had one total cross country runner um on the men's side one you gotta have five preferably you have 10 um you know and that's still small and so you know coming into it we actually were in violation of not feeling the team you do that a couple years in a row they're going to tell you you no longer can sponsor that sport um and so kind of having that pressure of like you know, we've had cross country for the last 40 years. We want to continue to have cross country. We need you to get out there. We need you to recruit. We need you to feel the team. Um, you know, my first year, I begged two tennis players and two baseball players to come run uh, to try to get to five. Um, mm. You know, I think they, for, for 8K, I think they probably ran north of an hour. Mm. I, you know, meet directors hated me. Mm. Um, but I, I 
you know, I had to feel the team, um, you know, looking back at it now, I realized why I was 26 years old and had the opportunity to become a head coach um, is because they were in a great spot. Um, but, you know, when you become a head coach at a school, you are an extension of that school. Um, sometimes one of the most publicly viewed extensions, uh, you know, cross country and track and field may not be the most public sport out there, but you're going to travel across the United States. You're going to, wear the uniform you're going to have the university name attached to it you have to make sure that you are a representation of that so i think that's something that like i was like holy smokes like mm. i'm the guy i am the person that makes the decisions i am you know i'm the person that says get on the bus mm. uh and that's something that has always kind of stuck with me what about the opposite side? So when you become a head coach, uh, you're doing things that you maybe have never done. You're budgeting, uh, you're setting the track schedule, you're setting the schedule schedule, what time we get on the bus, you're mm -hmm. recruiting. Um, there's so many uh, paperwork and stuff that you have to do for your conference and for nationals, things like that, eligibility, compliance, et cetera. There's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's amazing how many hats you have to wear as the head coach and specifically the head coach of track uh, because you have six sports with men and women's mm -hmm. cross, men and women's indoor, men and women's outdoor. What So the opposite side of that question, then what was something that was new to you that, man, you just picked up like that? Like, you're like, man, I, I thought that was going to be hard, but wow, I feel like I have a knack for. Uh, administrative stuff. Yeah. Is that um, right? Yeah. It, it's something that like, uh, a task that can take two to three hours I feel like I've been able to really you know I'm going to get it done I'm going to grind it out because I'm here to coach and recruit hmm. um you know uh, it's not fun sitting through the compliance stuff it's not fun you know preparing your budget for the next year but if you're if you, if you have it kind of figured it out and you have it ready to go um then you can get to what you're here for um, you know, yeah, you have to do all of that stuff to be able to go to meets. You have to do all that stuff to be able to go recruiting. Um, and so I, I feel like I do that really well. Um, I feel like that's something that, uh, not a passion of mine. No one says that that's a passion, <laughs> but, um, being able to be organized and streamline that process has been able to uh, allow us to do a lot of things because I'm not spending a ton of my time on being, you know, getting our buses around, getting, you know, hotels, doing things like that, uh, just being able to get it done. That's a good look into what head coach actually means. It's not uh, necessarily being in the circle and helping kids out or being on the runway for the jab. It's being in the office sometimes, filling out paperwork, et cetera. So a lot of people uh, aspire, again, to be in that seat, that head coaching seat. What advice would you give them to help with that part? Because I think we'll put aside that they know how to coach. So the actual, you know, X's and O's on the, on the field and in the, on the track, but when they sit in that chair, what's some, what's some advice their first year in that you can give them to help prepare them? I would go and I would go and try to find a coach who's been at your university for 10, 15 years. Oh, interesting. Why, why is that? Uh, I, don't, I don't care what sport they coach, go find them and be like, what's, what's the hardest part of your non-coaching job? You know, what, what do you feel like you have to spend the most time on and learn from them? How do they do it? How have they been able to survive the last 10, 15 years? You know, at a small school, we don't have super robust staffs to lean on. It's, it's up to you 
So, you know, I, I walked up to our softball coach. Our softball coach had been at St. Francis for, I think, 13 years at that point in time. And I was like, okay, I've never prepared a budget before. And we just went from 16 kids on the roster to 40 in a year. What do I need to ask for? What are they going to tell me no for? What are they going to tell me yes for? How do I get my point across? Um, but I would say, young coach, go, go rely on the other coaches in, in the office suite. It doesn't have to be a track coach. It can be a softball coach, a baseball coach, a golf coach who's been at the university for a while. They know how the university works. They know how the NAIA or the NCAA works, and they're going to be able to walk you through it and help you through it. If you are a new head coach right now or have aspirations to be a head coach, I would highly recommend you hit the rewind button about four times. Go back one minute there because what you just said there, Kyle – I think that's some of the best advice I've ever heard, mostly because, again, I'm always concerned about our bubble. When we talk about track and field, we talk about the the popularity of the sport. We're always arguing amongst, amongst our own fandom. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of our fandom is coaches. That's not a good thing. You know, we, we if, if the NFL only thrived on football coaches it would not be the billion dollar enterprise that it is. Uh, so I'm always concerned about how do we get out of our bubble? How do we see what other people are doing successfully, whether it's other sports or other uh, businesses, other activities? Uh, why is esports so big right now? I'd love to learn more from from them and, and how they do things. Uh, we had Lamar Daniels, uh, now think formerly of Lord's University, on the podcast. I had him on just to learn about esports. I knew nothing about yeah. it. That He also coached esports. I was like, all right, we're going to have you on the podcast just so I can. Uh, it was a completely selfish episode. I was all for me to learn, right? Uh, so I love that advice, Kyle about, hey, go find someone who's been at your university for, for longer than you, you your day one. <laughs> go find out how have you done it? What are some of the pitfalls to look for? What are some of the uh, gains that I can get? What are some easy wins I can get? How do, how do you handle this side of paperwork? What do you do here? Uh, and then use that experience because that's one thing you can't force, right? I can force more training into you and uh, technique and things like that but I can't force years of throwing the hammer. I can't force years of being the head coach and making mistakes and forgetting to uh, schedule the bus and things like that. But someone else has done that at your university. I love that. That that pairs well with the advice I heard about uh, on the success side. So the actual athletic side of your university is going and finding the coach or coaches who've had success. So who who's winning mm-hmm. conference, who's winning nationals and say, Hey, so how, did, how are you recruiting kids those kind of kids here, you know, so you can learn like, Oh man, I never thought about tapping into the X, Y, Z part of uh, high school track and field or Juco or internet, whatever, you know, that's, you know, cause each university is different. So what amazing advice right there, Kyle, about y- utilizing someone else uh, in your athletic department to help gain that experience that you, you just have to do day by day. So you use yeah. someone else's uh, mistakes and triumphs, man, that, that was really good. Uh, okay. So here's something that I wanted to talk about. I thought this was really interesting. So you were a D2 athlete and then a D3 coach and now an NAIA coach. That's three fairly radical organizations to be, right? You go from being in uh, in an organization that allows scholarships, D2. You go to uh, an organization, D3, where there are no athletic scholarships. And now you're NAIA, which I admittedly don't know as much, but I know they offer scholarships. So you're back to a scholarship program, but it's different. You're, you're not under the NCAA branch. What are some of the differences and unique uniquenesses that you've seen uh, as an athlete, assistant coach, and head coach in these three different organizations? 
Yeah, I mean, I remember, I just remember as an athlete, it felt like you were signing your life away to the NCAA at a certain point in time. You know, you're sitting in all these compliance meetings. And, you know, this was you know, 10, 15 years ago now, and a lot of things have changed since then. Right. But, you know, I, I fully remember, you know, the University of Indianapolis is a member of the Great Lakes Valley Conference signing a piece of paper saying they are able to use my, my name and image in any publication that they see fit. And I just remember looking at that paper and just being like, okay, this is kind of different. I'm, I'm not used to this yet. And if you disagree with it, then you don't get to You're compete. done. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. is no like, oh, okay, well, then we won't do it. No, no, no. It's just like, oh, well, you don't sign this. You don't compete. Yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah. intimate. I remember giving that piece of paper, you know, during compliance and looking yeah. at my athletes and they're like, coach, it says, and I'm like, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> I got yeah. there for you. That's interesting. Well, I assume it's a little different nowadays with all the name, image, and like this stuff that's come out. Um, but, you know, I think Division Two was a really good opportunity for me to see what top in collegiate athletics look like mm-hmm. without the, we have to make as much money as we possibly can off mm-hmm. the, you know, these teams. Um, and then you go to a division three school where um, if you love the sport, go spend time at a division three school. Uh, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of universities out there that give student athletes an opportunity to get amazing educations and continue to, to do the sport that they love. I was very fortunate that when I was at Manchester, we were very successful. Um, won a bunch of conference championships, had all Americans, was able to see what NCAA Division Three is at the highest level. Um, but yeah, you know, you're asking kids to come on their dime. You're not giving them any scholarship money. Um, you know, really focused on the academic side of things, having to submit, uh, you know, your schedule to the university to make sure that they don't miss so many hours of class because they want to make sure that they're there. Your training uh, schedule or your meet schedule? Both, both. both, you know, wow, Manchester, right? we were, we were fortunate in the fact that Manchester allowed us to have protected practice time. Okay. Um, so from three to 6 PM, the university didn't have classes. Okay. Uh, so that was really nice. We could always do that, but like, you know, it's not like me coming from the Midwest. I could ask to take a bunch of people out to Mount Sac, uh, you know, in California because they were going to miss too much class and we they didn't want to miss class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, spent three years in the Division three model where it's, you know, student-athlete, student-athlete, student-athlete. And you go to the NAI, which has kind of been branded as the Wild Wild West. Uh, you oh, know, oh, hold on. That means you have not coached Juco, my friend. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm not coached Juco. As a, as a former Juco coach, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, no, no, that's our moniker, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take that. You can be the Wild Wild East, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But we'll you can't wild be wild the East. Wild Wild West. Um, but it's... it's uh, I think the NAIA allows the athlete to be an athlete and allows the coach to be a coach and allows us to take care of our athletes if they need to be taken care of. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, there aren't as many rules and regulations and, and things like that, but it still is, you still have to be eligible. You still have to have compliance. You still have to meet all these standards to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just allows us to, to care about the, the student, care about the kid, Knowing that you don't necessarily know all the NCAA rules, <laughs> who does, uh, specifically like Division One, what are some of the NAIA rule differences? I, I, what I think I know, so you correct me, is when you start NCAA, when you start post-collegiate, your clock starts going. So you mm-hmm. have five years to do four years. If you decide, unless you know there's a military um, uh, def- deferences, I think might be the right word, uh, but generally, as soon as you start, full-time post-collegiate you have five years to do four years if you quit for two years too bad you don't get them back 
you, so you have one or two seasons left after that. I think the NAIA has you have five years to do four years of eligibility, and and that's if you skip a year, like if you decide to quit school after freshman year and go become an accountant for five years and come back, you still have your eligibility. I believe you, you tell me what, what, and what are, yeah, and so we, we always, we always talk about your clock starts and only is counted if you're full-time at the university. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, you technically have 10 semesters to complete your four years mm -hmm. of eligibility mm -hmm. and it's 10 full-time semesters. So if you're a second semester athlete, if you're only doing track and field, you can drop below full-time status that first semester and your clock stops. Um, and so that, that does lead to some, um, I think last year at the NAI national championship, the two people that won like the athlete of the year were in their late twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you do see that a little bit more. Um, but again, especially with what's happened in the last, you know, three years with COVID, it has allowed the athletes to maintain their eligibility and not be super worried about their clock running out without being able to fulfill their eligibility. Mm -hmm. What about, I always like to ask this about the NEI guys and Juco has this as well. Uh, why in the world do you have a marathon championship? Marathon in the NAI is no more. Oh, was that right? Um, yeah. We, we ended it last year, last year. Um, My voice was heard. <laughs> yeah, 2022. It actually they dropped it down to a half marathon. Okay. Um, it got to the point where there was a newer, younger generation that I think were comfortable with getting rid of it. Yeah. You know, that used to be the calling card of the NAI in in, in junior colleges. You know, we have a marathon. Come run right. a marathon for us. Right. Um, and I don't think people realize the danger of a marathon. Uh, at 20 years old. Amen. Especially our championships in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, you know, it's 95 degrees, it's 90 degrees. And it just got to the point that like, just to say we have it, isn't worth it to find a kid passed out on a park bench. I'm no distance coach. Now you did level one. So maybe, you know, this, I have a hard time feeling, uh, thinking that the same, uh, persons that are training, probably I assume for a 10 K on the track, cause that's the longest track event that that training is compatible with marathon training. And so because a 10 K guy and gal is typically also running a 5k and maybe some 1500s, et cetera. Uh, I feel like the, the marathon training got neglect would get neglected. And now you're putting that kid on a marathon and I don't care if it's in Gulf short, which is, I mean, temperature wise, of course, yeah. uh, or you're doing it in the Dakotas, it's still 26.2. I just don't know that you're training properly for it. That was always my issue. It's like, what, what do we do? I'm not sure you're doing what's right for the athletes. Maybe if you held the marathon, I don't know, this is a terrible idea too, but maybe you have it in uh, December. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I just, but uh, the same time frame as your outdoor championships and it counted towards your outdoor title yeah. points, by the way. So you kind of had to think about it at least if you wanted to win a title. That just didn't seem smart I, I just didn't i just didn't like it so i guess i'm so happy my my voice was heard what what was it uh what was it that actually stopped it was it was it people talking about the the safety issue of the... yeah safety issues and then like i don't think people quite understand the cost of running a marathon you know having to having to close roads down having to be able to do a lot of that and when uh, you know the nai is looking for people to maybe put in bids to move the national championship around a little bit um, that's a really big negative side of it. And, you know, that's more the business of collegiate athletics. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, there's just been a lot of new things coming out about health and safety of athletes, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that someone running 26.2 miles shouldn't be running 
30 miles a week and then going, hey, go run. Especially in the NAI, you can qualify for the, you used to be able to qualify for the marathon just by running a half. Mm. It's like, I, I wouldn't want to be able to qualify someone in the 10K off of just their 5K time. Uh, and so it, it just really changes everything. And then a half marathon, you know, a lot of people run 13 miles on a Sunday. Uh, that's a pretty normal thing. And so there was talk about moving it to a half, but then it just got to the point. It's like, well, if we're going to do that, just get rid of it. So, so, so you, don't, you don't have the half. It's now just 10K on the track is the... Yep, 10K on the track yeah. the longest event that we do. Yeah, I was going to say, even the half, and and you can cheat a lot of things in the half. And what I mean by that is under training, not cheating. Yeah. Uh, under training and still be okay. But uh, boy, a marathon at under training just seems like a terrible, terrible idea. So uh, I'm sure there were many programs and coaches that didn't like that. <laughs> you know, they hung their hat on the marathon and uh, in that distance. Our business meetings at the uh, coaches convention have been pretty lively uh, the last couple of years talking about the marathon and, and should it stay and should it go. And um, I, I think it's just for the, the, the betterment of the student athlete to not put them into a, a situation that they're not prepared for to get rid of it. So earlier, did you say you're six foot seven or six foot four? I'm six, four. Did yeah, you six ever, four. Did It would have been better if you're six, seven. Did you ever stand up in those meetings? All six, four of you. And like, look, guys. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, I'm still, I'm still the young guy. Uh, still, still the young guy. Don't have much of a voice. We started to see a little bit of success here, um, so I, I think my voice will start to get a little bit bigger. You, uh, you stand up, and they're like, "Hey, look, man, when we want shot put and hammer stuff, we'll, we'll talk to you." This, this yeah. is the, uh, this is the joggers. I don't. That, that was offensive. I shouldn't have said joggers. This is the distance guys and gals that are talking. That's right. Yeah. Don't let them try to take away the hammer or anything. All right. Don't. No, we're not letting that happen. Okay. Good, good, good. So what about the NAIA uh, as a head coach? And I know you don't have experience against being a D3 or D2 head coach, but like what, what, uh, what, what makes you enjoy NAIA? And, and I'm assuming you enjoy NAIA because you're still there and you've, you, know, you have been successful. So uh, there uh, potentially have been other opportunities for you to move elsewhere. And of course you talked about the different age and stage of your life at this point, you got family to consider now when you <laughs> think about other opportunities. So what's, what is it about the NAIA that you enjoy uh, that's still uh, keeping you there? Uh, I think the NAI does a great job, especially in cross country and track and field and trying to allow student athletes to compete at the highest level for the championships. Um, you know, on the track side of things with our standards, the, the A and B standard to qualify for the national championship, it, it allows a really good opportunity for an athlete to see that as a goal to qualify for nationals. Um, so I think the NAI does really well with that. So walk, walk us through that for, for those of us who yeah. don't know how you qualify for nationals. Tell me how you do yeah. it. So indoor track and field, outdoor track and field, uh, the NAI has two standards. They have an A standard and a B standard. The A standard, if you hit that mark, you're in the championship. Um, you're in no matter what. The B standard is a little different. Uh, the B standard, uh, schools get three uh, per gender. So you get three male, three female uh, rights of entry on that B standard. Um, so uh, you run into a situation sometimes where maybe you have seven people on a B standard. You have to pick which three get to go to nationals. Oh. Um, but again, it still gives you that, that student opportunity to go to a national championship. Uh, and so that's, that's how we've always kind of determined. We have a, a committee um, of coaches that set those standards every single year on, on what it is to qualify for the national championship. On the A and B standards and the three per gender per institution, 
does that count if an athlete has the A mark in the hundred, but the B mark in the two hundred? Would you have to use one of your three for that B two hundred, even though he or she's already in the hundred? Yeah, you would have to use that B mark. It's it's per event. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, so right. like, and then yeah, and then like uh, uh, the other difference with it is you only get one relay on a B. Um, so say you qualify a four by one and a four by four both on B standard, you only get two individuals in one relay. You can't take multiple relays on the B standard. Mm, okay. And you so have... a, a little different. Um, but you know, my first year national qualifier, we only had one B standard. Uh, and you know, he got I think he got like twenty third in the nation that year in the sixty hurdles. But he he hit the mark. We knew he was going to nationals. He earned that right to go. We were able to use our B standard entry for him um, and, and be able to take him to nationals. Uh, now we're a lot more A standards. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, but it, it's nice. I like, you know, talking to some of my friends that coach NCAA Division II, they got rid of, you know, the, the auto provo system kind of. And it sounds like um, there's just a lot of going into that last weekend of the qualifying window going, okay, well, I think they might qualify, but they may not. Uh, where the NAI has a very clear cut. If you hit this mark, if you jump this high, if you throw this far, you're going to the national championship. Hmm. You mentioned two relays. Doesn't NAI have different relays besides the four by one and four by four? Yeah. So outdoors, um, we do four by eight, four by four, four by one. Yeah. Uh, and then indoors, we do four by eight, four by four, and then DMR. Four by eight and the DMR indoors. Yeah. Four by eight and the DMR indoors is very indoor. Oh, yeah, you if you if you have a very competitive mid distance group uh, at the NAI level indoors, you can be very successful. When are they going to uh, add like the uh, shot put four by one or something? We we need to I add some. I, yeah, yeah. I do love I the relays. Do that. I don't need any of my guys ripping <laughs> hamstring trying to run. What um and then you also have I believe uh, the race walk is in NAI as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So they do 3K race walk indoors, 5K race walk outdoors. Uh, I've had one total race walker on campus for a visit in my six years as a head coach at St. Francis. Not something that we we really dabble in, um, but it has, again, similar to the marathon, has helped some teams win national championships mm -hmm. um, just because it is not a super popular sport um, or event in our sport, but those who do it score a lot of points off of yeah. it. Yeah, and, and great. That's another event that likely you would be teaching from scratch yes. like like the hammer you're, you're all five years old race walkers because it's not um i, I don't know uh, i'm gonna say i don't know any states that do it for high school i'm thinking new york and maybe like a maine or something like it, that. it seems pretty east coast heavy if you if yeah. you look at those that are competing at the national championship they may be at schools because nai doesn't have a huge prevalence kind of in that new england area so you see a lot of kids come out and, and compete in the Midwest from, you know, your Massachusetts, New England's, Maine's, Rhode Island's. So mm. they have to at least be doing road races, something along those lines with race walk out there. Right. So that's interesting what you think about NAIA. So as we wrap up today, Kyle, what, what about St. Francis has you excited? You know, you're going into year seven. Um you no longer have just one B standard to choose from. Now you probably have, you probably actually have that tough decision of which three yeah. am I going to take out of my X number of B standards plus on top of the A standards, which is amazing. So a lot of progress. Uh, I'm assuming you have more than one person on your cross country team now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're pushing for conference titles. You're you know pushing into the NAIA national rankings, things like that. What's got you excited here as we go and look at your seven, eight, nine, ten 10 for you here at St. Francis. Um, we have some of the young 
up and comers uh, on our team right now. Uh, we had a young man this last outdoor season, Spencer Carpenter. He was fourth in the nation in the 1500. Wow. Um, uh, as a freshman, true freshman, wow. uh, he's got some real lofty goals. So we're really excited about him. And then just continuing to, to see what we can do at St. Francis. Um, you know, one thing that uh, not a lot of people talk about, we don't have any facilities. Uh, we don't have an indoor track. Uh, we don't have an outdoor track. Um, all of our success is by, by grinding and just being who we are. So, so what do you do? Typically you might say, and maybe you're going to say this part, you know, you, you find a local high school, you're in Fort Wayne. So there's some amazing high school facilities yeah. there to be real frank with you. But I, I immediately started thinking about that hammer. <laughs> you, you can't yeah. just do that anywhere. What, what, so how do you do it with no facilities? We, we luckily, we luckily have a very hilly, grass area with about a 20 foot tall chain link fence um that we use for a hammer but um as we have gotten better that facility is starting to kind of get small real small because the the back side of it which is at about 66 meters is people's yards um and fences and uh you know we had a young man uh, who threw right around 60 meters this year um, if he would pull it to the left just a little bit, we were getting kind of close to, to hitting some of those, those fences. I can just um, see sitting out on your porch, drinking your coffee, like, Hey, what? Is, that's not a golf ball. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think that's also kind of part of it. Like, you know, we're in Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne's a, a decently large city. Um, we're in, in downtown Fort Wayne, essentially. Um, so there's not a ton of space. Um, but, uh, I talk to my team a lot about controlling what you can control. We can't really control the fact that we don't have those facilities right now. There's nothing, I, I can't go out there with a backhoe and start digging. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to get done. It's not going to be done properly. I don't know anything about that. Um, but, but we can control, you know, the attitude that we bring every day into practice. We can control, yeah, we have a little bit of a facility. Let's try to maximize it to the best that we possibly can. So we, we tend to be a pretty throws heavy team. Um, we do have an indoor track here in town that we rent and use um, at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, so uh, kind of early risers. Um, but, you know, we're just excited about the team that we have. We're excited about the kids that we have on the team. Um, very competitive women's distance program here. Uh, we've been in the top 25 in the NAI the last two years in cross country. Um, really looking forward to kind of those next steps with, with that team to see what we can do. Uh, you know, uh, a team in our conference, Taylor University, has won the women's cross-country title eight years in a row now. Uh, I would really love the opportunity to see if we can get our women to go get them. Shot, shots fired, Taylor. <laughs> no, they know, they know that we're trying. Everyone's yeah. trying. When you've done it for eight years in a row, everyone's trying to I, knock you off. That's as I say, I don't know many championship-winning coaches that don't know that someone's gunning for them. that's why you go to win is so that someone can gun for you, you know? So yeah, I, I, I just there. Uh, well, I love that Kyle. I love the well-roundedness of your team as well. You know, from cross country to the 1500 meter sophomore now uh, that got fourth hurdlers, obviously throw, I shouldn't say, obviously on top of that with throwers and the no excuses attitude there. I mean, mm -hmm. it's one thing, you know, as, as I deal specifically with facilities uh, throughout the country, uh, facility projects, it's one thing to have a successful team. That's hard. Remember, winning is hard. That is hard to win conference, to be in the battle to win conference, to, to be top 20, top 10 at nationals. That's hard to do it without facilities. I don't know what's, what's harder than hard. I mean, 
it's one thing if you're just going to be distance, I guess, which still doesn't make it easy. Uh, but you know, you can do some roads and cross country courses and things like that. Not that doesn't, that's not the easiest, but to have throwers and jumpers without facilities, man. Um, and to have no excuses with it. That That's just so to me admirable. And I love that. I want you to have amazing facilities, uh, yeah. both personally and professionally. I want that, of course. Uh, but I love the no excuses of like, all right, well, we're, we're okay. That's what we're, the cards were dealt. So this is what we're going to play and we're going to play it to the best of our ability. But I think that's, what's made me the coach that I am today. You know, uh, I've had to get creative. I've had to try to make sure that the, the kids still get the work done that they need to get done to be successful. I, you know, we talked about the coaches convention. I've listened to a bunch of coaches talk who, have a lot of nice, shiny, pretty things to be able to go coach at. And then I listened to coach talk a couple years ago and he was like, not all of us have those shiny, pretty things. There's some of us out here that are holding together hurdles with duct tape. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're fixing hammers on their own to try to make sure that they can get more life extended out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're getting to the point that we have healthy enough budget. I don't have to do quite that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches out there that do it with a lot less than what the normal is. Mm-hmm. And that's, in my mind, and I'm going to be on my soapbox, that's where the superstar coaches live. Yeah. You know, you know they, they're in it um, because they want the kids to have a really good experience. They want them to love track and field. They want them to love running and they're willing to do what it takes to, to make it happen. Um, you know, I'm a throws guy from Warsaw, Indiana, and I am trying to do the best that I can to make University of St. Francis a very competitive NAI cross country and track and field program. Um, if that means I got to wake up at 445 every single day to go in there, that's the choice that I have made to, to do what I need to do for my kids. I'm very fortunate in the fact that my wife was also a track and field athlete. Um, So she, she kind of gets the grind a little bit too. Um, But uh, you know, love, love where I'm at, love the university, love the, you know, the 75 student athletes that I get to represent every single day. Was, uh, was Miss Allison thrower or another event? She was, she was significantly better than I was. Um, I was going to ask who was the, yeah. (laughs) So I always, I always joke with her about it. Uh, uh, ironically enough, my wife threw hammer um, at, at a rival school of ours now, Indiana Westland. Oh, yeah. um, they're in our conference. So I was at the University of Indianapolis. She was at Indiana Westland. We both were throwers. Uh, and so she, she, uh, it's nice. She gets it. She understands what it's like to be a part of a team. She understands what it's like to be team mom, team wife, team, you know, whatever it needs to be. Uh, she she is in it for the team and I think that's huge um, to be able to come home and if you've had a bad day for her to be like yeah you know that happens sometimes Mm -hmm. Uh, and just have that support system there Uh, you know she's a national qualifying NAI hammer thrower uh, significantly better than I was Um, she's she's gone on to do some really great things in athletics after her retirement she's an athletic trainer um, has been able to do some really fun things with that so it's just nice to have have her as an unpaid um, kind of emotional support person. You mentioned you have a little one. Don't try to start teaching turns just yet. Just have him have, have uh, you, you said little boy, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just have him watch videos for now so that it's imprinted as a young one. but don't try to start to learn, teach the turns just yet. Okay. The, my, my women's hammer throwers love it because he'll come out and he'll drag the women's hammers around. And they seem to always PR after he touches the hammer. So, uh, you know, having, having him around the team, I have a feeling he's probably going to 
you know, pick up a hammer, pick up a javelin, uh, try that out at some point in time. Or he'll try to go to medical sales and find his way back into an amazing career. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely, man. Kyle, thank you so much. Uh, You know, I just really enjoyed your journey. And what I love about it is uh, how young it is. And and what I mean by that is you've had a lot of success, a lot of experiences at this point in your career. But man, I I like to use this analogy of, you know, because I'm in track, right, of this race. Usually it's a quarter mile race. I'm always in my head visualizing. But you're barely... And I know sometimes it doesn't feel this way. Sometimes it feels like you you think you're at 350 and you're just slogging, just trying to, to get to that finish line. But my man, you are barely at the starting line. And that should be exciting for you. I'm excited for you that you're barely on the starting line because that means there's so much more of that race to go. You have so much more experiences to learn, so many more experiences to have, and much, much more positive impact on young people to come. You know, what you do at St. Francis, what you did at Manchester, what you might do at another university one day is immeasurable. I don't speak on this enough and, I, and I'm making it kind of my, uh, it's my new year's resolution for July. <laughs> We're going to, I don't wait till January one, baby. I'm doing it right now that, you know, I want to impart on coaches. You mentioned uh, earlier about uh, when you teach hammer throwers, when they're five years old, uh, because they're learning, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows, right? Because it's all, you're learning everything. It's tough. And then you pick up something, then it's tougher and et cetera. So I know in your profession, which also bleeds into personal, especially as a wife who did it, right? And, And you just, even if she didn't, even if she was never even saw a track she still has to i'm gonna say deal with you <laughs> she has to, to deal with those experiences with you right so i know there are times when you come home and and there has to be just man why am i this is just hard it's harder than it needs to be and should be or man why aren't we getting the respect that track deserves and other days uh you think you're the king of the mountain the, you know best coach ever best life ever no one has it better than you right but i just want to impart on you that on those down days even on the worst days your impact on young people is immeasurable. And the reason I use immeasurable is you said you had 75 people. When you first got there, I think you said you had 16, 16. maybe maybe six, (laughs) one cross country person. That really got to me. Even if you kept 16, let's use an easy number and say 20. I'm from Alabama. So math is not my strong suit. Okay. So let's use an easy number here. Even if you kept 20 kids a year, I'm going to say only 20 kids uh, compared to 75 a year, they go off to be business owners, doctors, mothers, fathers, grandparents one day, homeowners, et cetera, they, they, they base a lot of their decisions off of the impact that you and your staff has on them. You know, when, when they were down at practice and you picked them up, when you taught them a new skill and they PR'd, when you taught them a new event and they become a champion that they thought they ne- that never entered their head, but you, be- you believe in them. You know, what a coach does is they see things in others before they can see it themselves, right? So when they think about that experience, they then go on and, and, and impart that to their network, whether it's a coworker, a family member, a stranger, they let open the door to the gym, mm-hmm. right? They learn that from you and your coaching staff. Uh, and so even on your worst days, you are helping the world. This is no hyperbole. I, I am one for hyperbole. Trust me. This is one where this is not hyperbole. This is God's honest truth. Your impact on society because of what you do on the track and off the track with your athletes is, again, I'll say it, 
measurable. It's not measurable. It is, it is incalculable to know the positive impact that you, your coaching staff, the other coaches that we've had on the podcast, the other coaches that will be on the podcast and the people that I'll never have on the podcast for one reason or another. If you were a coach, guys and gals, trust me, even on your worst days, you are doing something that is so impactful in this world. It is thankful. It's grateful. I'm so glad we hire uh, former athletes here, uh, whether it's in sales, uh, back in our back. You know, we have uh, welders and packers and uh, cutters, and, and they all play basketball and track and things like that. And they, they'll, they'll tell you, it's like, yeah, you know why I'm always on time? Because, man, my coach, she imparted on me why that was important. And that's, they're not still doing that sport. They're, they're contributing to something much greater now at that point, uh, because of guys and gals like you, my man. So, uh, I just want to say thank you. You know, uh, you, you don't hear that enough. I hope you yeah. hear it a lot, but I don't think you hear it enough, uh, as a coach, uh, if you're listening and you're a coach, thank you. I, I, again, I know you hear it. I hope you hear it, but I don't think you hear it enough, but what you do, man, uh, is, is incalculable. And I'm just so thankful. Uh, and so thankful that you would share that story with us today. And I can't wait, like I said, it's so early. You're, you're not even at the starting line, my man. I can't wait to look 10 years from now and talk to you and 20 years from now, uh, and just hear the accolades, uh, the highs, the lows, uh, as you go through your journey, uh, and just continue the positive impact you have. So thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Had a blast. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you for being here again. Uh, I'm just so humbled that you listen to us here on the podcast uh, and join us next week. We're, we're going to do it all over again. We're going to bring another amazing person who happens to be a track coach, which is, again, a lot of choices. This guy could be selling medical supplies, which I guess is probably good. I guess we need that, but it ain't coaching the hammer, my friend. And I'm so thankful he does. Have a great day. Mike, what an incredible journey Coach has been on. So awesome to hear their story in their own words. Tremendous proof of the positive effects coaches make on a daily basis. Help us spread the word of this great journey by sharing on your favorite social media channel. And don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. You just might get a shout out on a future episode. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll connect you with another amazing coach.